I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. Sunday's my fun day, especially when I get to record a new Scoop podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Sunday, July 18th. The year is 2021. This is Scoop Podcast episode 359. I will empty out my figurative notebook. It won't be lengthy. Then I will get to numerous conversations. In no particular order, I begin with Anthony Edwards. He was in town this week. The ankle injury is not a really bad one, although somebody close to Edwards did tell me he sprained it, quote, badly. But he actually may get on the court in Vegas next month. This is not any sort of long-term injury that will impact him come training camp in September or the preseason in October, the start of the regular season in October. Fluid, whether he does some stuff in Vegas, but it checked out. There's no ligament damage. He doesn't need surgery, anything crazy like that. It's just unfortunate with all the changes with the USA basketball team. If Anthony Edwards had maintained his health, I think there would have been a decent chance he would have landed in Tokyo. But if you're a Wolves fan, there's no sort of long-term ramifications with this ankle injury. Trade talk is ongoing. One person relatively close to the situation told me this week, the Wolves landing Ben Simmons is a long shot. Now, they are trying. They want him. Sachin Gupta in the Wolves front office, heck, he created the trade machine, right? So the Wolves are trying to get creative involving a third team potentially a fourth team, but that in the end, it's going to be difficult to assemble a package that is appealing to Philadelphia. Certainly just dealing with Philadelphia solo, there's not really a match. Like the Sixers aren't interested in what the Wolves are willing to offer. Edwards is off limits. Carl Anthony Towns is off limits. No surprise there. So it's just tough for the two teams to find a happy medium. That's where the Wolves will need to involve at least minimum, a third team. If not Simmons, John Collins remains on their radar, but I happen to think Atlanta ends up re-signing John Collins. Miles Turner, for what it's worth, somebody close to Turner told me this week that he believes Indiana is going to end up ultimately keeping Turner, that hiring Rick Carlisle, giving him $7 million a year, that they may just run this thing back through. They'll get TJ Warren back. They'll have Karis LeVert for a full year. Sabonis, Brogdon that Indiana feels like they are not that far away. So if in the end they do trade Turner, they are looking for an immediate return. I just don't know if Malik Beasley is what Indiana is looking for. Beasley plus more. So I think Miles Turner will be a tough trade to make as well. But hey, again, the Wolves are working the phones. They are working the phones big time, trying to find somebody they can trade for that can help improve the roster. Another name that really hasn't been out there that the Wolves had some trade interest in before the deadline this past year, Lori Markinen of Chicago plus Kyle Kuzma of the Lakers is seemingly attainable. So uh, the Wolves are certainly trying to upgrade their roster. Jaden McDaniels, he's a guy that the Wolves are incredibly excited about. Chris Finch had a lunch the other day with some season ticket holders or some potential season ticket holders. I'm told he was gushing about McDaniels. McDaniels played this week at the Twin Cities Pro-Am at Minnehaha Academy. Good times there. Free admission. He was playing with Tyus Jones, the Memphis Grizzlies point guard, the former Wolves guard. 
The Wolves have hired quality control coaches. They're already working, I'm told. They should announce names in the relatively near future. Former Champlain Park High School star McKinley Wright, former Colorado star, he worked out this week for the Raptors, Knicks, and Hawks. Matthew Hurt, former McDonald's All-American, two years at Duke, Rochester John Marshall High School alum. He worked out this week for the Houston Rockets and Los Angeles Lakers. Shifting to the NHL, Ryan Suter, former Wild defenseman, 15 teams have reached out to his agent, Neil Sheehy, to express interest. Among the teams showing interest in Suter, the Dallas Stars, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the St. Louis Blues, the New York Islanders, the New York Rangers, and Carolina Hurricanes. Officially, no surprise, Capo Kakinen, Carson Soucy, exposed in the expansion draft. Seattle, if they want, it makes logical sense, can grab Carson Soucy. On the Twins, their top draft picks, Chase Petty, Noah Miller, expected in town this next week. They will sign their contracts. They will sign their contracts at Target Field. Nothing crazy in terms of going way over slot or way under slot. There will be some guys that end up signing for a little bit over, a little bit under. You know, they can manipulate the money, but I'm told nothing crazy. It is unfortunate on Brandon Birdsell. He was the 11th round pick by the Twins out of Texas Tech, a pitcher, a promising pitcher. He announced on Saturday he is going back to school. I'll just tell you this much. In talking to Sean Johnson, twin scouting boss on Wednesday, draft boss, he was pretty confident that the Twins would sign all 21 draft picks. So now that we have the news a few days later that Birdsell is going back to school, now the deadline it's still a couple weeks away. It's August 1st, so talks will be ongoing. It's not like the Twins are giving up all hope on signing Birdsell, but he did come out on his Twitter and announce, hey, I'm not signing with the Twins. I'm going back to Texas Tech. So something happened between Wednesday and Saturday. I will work on finding out what exactly happened. I'm sure it's just bottom line, the money being offered. Although remember, uh, the pool money, that's the top 10 rounds. So 11th round, it's a little bit different, but maybe he was looking for more than what the Twins were offering. But bottom line, super unfortunate that the Twins, as of now, won't be able to sign their 11th round draft pick. The best Twins news of this month, Mike Radcliffe. He's been in the front office since 1987. Heck, if you've listened to this podcast going back five plus years, he's been on this podcast a number of times. Like any move going back, to 1987, Johan Santana, Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau, any move the Twins have made that maybe in particular that you really liked, Mike Radcliffe had his fingerprints on it. I mean, just wears multiple hats in the front office, but he is back. He has defeated pancreatic cancer. You don't hear of a lot of people defeating pancreatic cancer. He has. He's defeated some heart issues in the last few years. Heck, Mike Radcliffe, the bionic man, but he is back scouting. In fact, he went with Sean Johnson to New Jersey a few weeks ago to watch their their top draft pick, Chase Petty, pitch. So he's been out and about scouting. He was here for the draft. So just fantastic news on Mike Radcliffe. On the Byron Buxton, Ken Rosenthal report, I've seen some people suggest it was the Twins who leaked that report. I'll just tell you this much. The Twins are not happy that that report got out. 
The Twins didn't leak it. I'll just leave it at that. The Twins did not leak that particular report. Byron Buxton is not accepting this latest offer. Keep in mind, I've talked about this for many, many years because we have to go back multiple years when the Twins have tried to extend Buxton. The Twins have made Buxton a handful of extension offers. To date, they have not come to a happy medium. As of now, he will be a free agent after next season when he'll be 29 years old. You think about George Springer with the Blue Jays getting at 31 years old, six years, $150 million. Byron Buxton at 29 years old can hit the jackpot. So the way it's trending is the Twins may need to trade him in the winter. Do I think Byron Buxton is getting traded in the next 12 days before the July 30th non-waiver deadline? I don't. And they're having talks with Barrios, and there's a sense that there's been some talks with Rodgers. No talks, I'm told, with Duffy. So if you look at the big four that are free agents after next year, it's Buxton, it's Duffy, it's Rodgers, and it's Barrios. Same deal on Barrios. Like, the Twins have tried for a while. They haven't come close. And unless they're willing to offer darn near Zach Wheeler money, and more than what McCullers Jr. got with the Astros, five years, 85, five years, 90, somewhere in that ballpark. Wheeler got five years, 118 from the Phillies. I don't think it'll take five, 118 to get Barrios locked up, but I think it's closer to that than it is to what McCullers Jr. got in Houston. Now, you can go less term. It doesn't have to be a five-year extension, but the point is if the Twins want Barrios, they are going to have to pay up. Like, I'm talking north of $20 million a year. So there is no sense that the Twins and the Jose Barrios camp are anywhere in the ballpark of being close to agreeing to an extension. Gophers men's basketball, they added a transfer on Saturday. He's from the Chicago area, Danny Ojale. So he initially played at Division I Navy, then transferred to Division II Mercyhurst. I checked with a Gopher source. I said, hey, any staff connections to Ojale? I was told, no, there are no connections. We found him in the portal. Like after losing Isaiah Enan this week to a season-ending knee injury, Parker Fox, season-ending knee injury, the Gophers need bodies. So he's got one year of eligibility remaining. He's a grad transfer, six foot seven. He's put together. If you watch the YouTube video, he is physically put together. So in all likelihood, Danny Ojale is going to play some minutes for the Gophers this year. Former Gopher Austin Hollins will play Summer League in Vegas with the Washington Wizards. He's made a lot of money overseas. He's still chasing that NBA dream. It's 3M Open Week starting on Monday. Louis Oosthuizen, as I'm taping this on Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m., he is leading the Open Championship. Louis Oosthuizen will be in Blaine next week, as will Dustin Johnson, who's on the leaderboard. Last I checked, he's like fifth or sixth. Doesn't look like Johnson will be in a position to win the Open Championship, but he'll be here. Remember last year, he shot an absurdly high number, wasn't it? Like 80 or 81, then had to bail after the first round. I believe it was a back issue, but it was a medical situation. So it'll be nice to have Johnson back in town. Hopefully he can play at least two rounds, make the cut, play next Saturday and Sunday at TPC Twin Cities. And with galleries back in play, the fans there, it should be a fun, fun week in Blaine. All right, Vikings training camp starts a week from Wednesday. Earlier this week, I was at an East Metro high school. 
A few Vikings were there working out. Chad Beebe, Alexander Madison, Adam Thielen, Blake Cashman was also there. I didn't have a chance to catch up with Beebe or Cashman, but I did catch up with Thielen and Madison. Let's begin my lengthy conversations here. These conversations will end up taking up a majority of the podcast. Let me begin with my conversation with Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen from earlier this week. Adam, let me just start with what you were doing out there. I mean, you love, I mean, kids are going to inevitably gravitate toward you. You're a mentor type, like you just, you love spewing knowledge. They have questions and you have no problem stopping and talking to them. Yeah, it's been fun being out here the last few weeks and just uh, seeing them work out and, you know, they kind of do a little captain's practice and uh, I've been kind of yelling from the bench over here, like, you know, stay on top or uh, route stuff. Um, just trying to give them a little bit of insight, you know, uh, been, been around for a while now and, and played a lot of ball. So um, it's fun to be able to kind of just bring that knowledge to these high school kids that haven't played a lot of ball, right? You know, they're, they're young, you know, they're good athletes, um, but they don't have a whole lot of knowledge of the, of the game just because they haven't, don't have a lot of experience. So uh, it's been really fun to see them working and, and trying to help them out. I mean, just all eyes locked in on you. I mean, I hope they have an appreciation for how unique, how cool this is, right? Like, it's not often one of the top receivers in the game is right here on their field being able to talk to them. Yeah, usually it starts out with just like talking to a couple of guys and then it ends up being a big circle, <laughs> which is great. You know, the more the more that can hear it, uh, the better. And, and there's always some interesting questions. Uh, they were just asking me about, about my cleats and Adidas and being a sponsored athlete and things like that. So <laughs> it always gets uh, kind of uh, uh, wrapped around somehow, but uh, it's, it's been really fun for me. Did they ask you about Tahoe? They didn't, no, no. It's usually just football questions just because <laughs> they're interested. But uh, uh, like I said, they're great kids and, and uh, they should have a good team this year. So it should be fun to watch. How was Tahoe? It was great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's such a great week. You know, we're, we're spoiled out there. Um, you know, just be the people you're able to meet and have relationships with. Um, that I probably would never, never have met or never had those opportunities to kind of pick their brains, uh, whether it be actors, you know, guys from other sports, um, female athletes. Um, it's, it's just incredible. And, and the conversations that come up uh, talking about, you know, how they prepared uh, in their sports, how they competed, how they had success. And then, and then maybe just some kind of funny stories, locker room stories, you know, things that happened throughout their career. It's, it's, it's just a blast. And the more opportunities I get to do stuff like that, you know, I'm all in. My wife loves it, uh, meeting some of the wives um, and, and just kind of hanging out there for the week. So it's it's really special. And football players, right? I mean, like Aaron Rodgers, he did some interviews saying, like, you and Aaron are – I didn't realize how close you were the way he was talking. Yeah, we got to be, uh, uh, you know, really good friends. You know, we, we uh, text quite a bit uh, back and forth just, you know, when things pop up in life. Um, and, you know, he's been a really good mentor to me, honestly. And uh, – um, it starts at those kind of events, right? Like you just kind of uh, build trust in one another. Um, you build that relationship. You play every year together. Um, when, when you're on the golf course for five hours, you get to know someone pretty well. So, um, and, and he's not the only one. There's a lot of guys out there that I just just love, you know, getting back out there for the week and spending time with them. And, and again, you know, they end up being uh, good friends and, and people that you kind of uh, like look up to have, you know, they kind of have that mentorship role to me. I suppose his situation has a direct impact on how you guys will do this year. It's fascinating to see how that will how that will end up, right? But like, right. you know, whether you guys win the division, can make a deep run in the January, a lot of that has to do with Aaron. Right, yeah, so that, that part's a little awkward. I don't, we don't talk about that stuff just because, uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is. But, uh, um, you know, he's a great football player and, 
and at the end of the day, uh, you want to play against the best, right? And, and you want to beat the best. So, um, you know, we want him to be back there so we can compete and, and show that we're a good football team and we can we can play against the best. So, um, you know, that, that situation, really, we can't even look at it. Uh, we can't even think about it because it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, we got to control we can control. Uh, we got to be the best football team we can be. And, and at the end of the day, if we can't beat a team like that um, with, with a, a quarterback like him, we're not going to get to where we want to be anyways. So we have to focus on what we can control and, and try to beat the best. The pieces seem to be in place. Anthony Barr's on record in a recent interview, it doesn't matter where, but I saw the quote, it went viral, that like he expects you guys to, to absolutely compete to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, and this and this is the time of year that you kind of feel that way, right? Like you, you, you look out on paper, uh, we've had in the past, right? You look on paper and say, hey, we have the team to do this. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to go and prove it. You got to prove it week in, week out. You have to play your best football individually as, a, as an offense, as a defense, as a team. Uh, you have to do that week in, week out, because otherwise you will get beat. So um, on paper, absolutely. And in the locker room, the group of men we have, uh, the group of coaches, uh, the leaders we have on this team, definitely it, on paper, it's great. Uh, now we have to go prove it. Are you now the senior member of the offense? Like Harrison would be the senior member overall, right, defense. But with Kyle gone, are you in on offense? Well, Kirk's a little older than me, uh, but, but yeah. Purple, yeah, I've been, I've been here for quite a long time, so. Um, but, but uh, you know, for me, I, I, I forget about that sometimes just because I still feel like a young player in this league. I feel like I got a, a lot to prove and a lot to get better at, uh, and that's why I'm out here. Where can you get better? Oh, uh, there's a lot, you know, just consistency, um, making sure that I, I'm an all-around football player, um, that I can do everything on the field and not just be um, a specific, you know, type of guy. Um, and so that's kind of what my focus is on every offseason, making sure that I'm getting bigger, faster, stronger, being able to be sustained, um, you know, all, the longevity of a season, especially now adding a game. And so um, that's kind of what my focus is right now. And I'm super excited to get back on the field. Seamless transition with, with Kubiak. I mean, the last name, we know the last name. So pretty seamless. I mean, not a whole lot that will be different offensively. Yeah, it, it has been very seamless. I mean, obviously there's a lot, there's some new learning, uh, things that he wanted to implement and put in on his, in his own. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty similar. Um, I think the big part is going to see how he's going to call a game, right? Because uh, until you get to games, you really don't know. Um, you can have all these plays, but you don't know what's going to be called, how it's going to be called, the rhythm. Uh, when you have an offense coordinator for a while, you start to kind of pick up on, okay, this is kind of what his go-to plays are. This is my go-to route that he likes me to run. And you kind of uh, start to, you know, get on the same page as that. So, um, you know, we're excited to get back to training camp and get some of those scrimmages um, the inner, you know, inner squad, and then you know, against another team, and then and then being able to play preseason games again is huge for, especially having a new uh, new call, play caller. For the most part, preseason camp, you know, fans in the stands during training camp, like we're back to normalcy in so many ways. Yeah, how exciting, you know, to be able to have full stadiums, be able to have fans at training camp. I mean, that's why we play this game. We we love the fan interaction. We love um, playing in front of the fans. You know, obviously it was still great. Uh, we still love the game of football, so it's still good last year to be able to still play. Um, and, and do those things and people will be able to watch on TV. But at the end of the day, we play this game because uh, we love playing in front of fans. We love stadiums full, loud, you know, tough environments. Um, it's not the same when you go to Lambeau and there's zero people in the stands. Uh, it's, it's just not the same. So I'm um, excited to get back to some normalcy. When you look back at Justin's year last year with everything not normal, just maybe even a better appreciation as you reflect back on everything he was able to accomplish without you know, the semblance of a, of a preseason and OTAs and minicamp and all that? Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows how what type of guy he is. You know, he, he was able to come in, handle his business, 
um, really focus on the little things because he didn't have OTAs to be able to to gain those reps to to understand the offense better. You know, so for him to be able to come in and and to pick it up like that and to focus on those little things and then perform at a high level, uh, not only a high level for a rookie, but a high level for anybody, a veteran in the league. I mean, he was putting up numbers that most guys don't put up ever in their career. So uh, excited to see year two uh, under his belt, you know, with with just having some more experience, um, having OTAs to kind of, you know, work on the things that he wanted to work on. And then, you know, he's just a guy that loves ball. So uh, excited to get back in the room with him. Get you a couple more. Do you guys need a third receiver, quote unquote? I mean, I'm seeing Chad Beebe out here. He looks solid, but there's people saying, hey, go sign Larry Fitzgerald Jr. Go sign Dee right. Westbrook. Where yeah. where do you stand up? Well, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm completely out of that. That's, that's above my pay grade. You know, for me, I'm just focused on what I can control, um, trying to help these guys out. I mean, we got some great football players in that room, and, and I don't think people understand that, uh, how many really good football players are in our receiver room right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, that stuff's out of my control. So we'll see how they handle that. Uh, we have a lot of trust in our organization that they're going to do what it takes uh, to help this team win a championship, and um, and that's kind of up to them. Revamped offensive line, right? So you got Darisaw left tackle, you got Ezra moving from right guard to left guard, and then maybe Wyatt Davis, a rookie at right guard. It'll be interesting to see how the offensive line gels. Yeah, it really will be. And uh, for me, uh, I tell this to a lot of people, you know, they ask me about the old line, things like that. And, and uh, that's kind of out of my world. I don't really understand offensive line because I've never really studied that part of the game. Uh, and usually when the film's rolling, I'm watching the outside, you know, the receivers, the DBs, things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's a huge piece to an offense, and we've seen it over the years. You know, you can have all the weapons. You can have the best quarterback in the world, uh, but if you, if you can't protect and give a little bit of time, um, it's difficult to win games in this league. So uh, it's always great to see them add pieces and add competition. I think there's some guys that are on this team um, that have been on this team that have a really good opportunity to um, prove themselves. And uh, so that competition is only going to make everybody better. The lights about in at Brooklyn Center High School with the Thielen Foundation. Yeah, they're getting there. So it was fun to be there when they initially started going up. They got to do some digging and, and get it all uh, wired. Uh, but I think they're getting there pretty close. So it'll be fun to be able to go out there and, and see them light it, light that field up in a few weeks. You got a couple cool events planned here. Are you guys doing the Top Golf thing again? Yeah, we got the Top Golf event coming up in, uh, I think it's like early October. Um, so that'll be great. Again, it'll be, be able to, uh, great to be able to do those type of events. Again, raise a bunch of money uh, for, for you know, people that, that need it. And uh, that's what we're all about. And uh, excited to be able to give back to this community. Again, that's done so much for me. Thielen still isn't vaccinated. I imagine there is going to be, heck, there's already been peer pressure. I don't get the sense that he's ready to change his mind instantly. Maybe eventually. He didn't want to get into it on camera, but it's out there. I mean, he answered the question in June that he hasn't been vaccinated. I can just tell you, nothing has changed on that front. Alexander Madison is entering his third year with the Vikings, backup running back to Dalvin Cook. Here's my conversation from the other day with Alexander Madison. Let's continue what we were just talking about, Alexander. I mean, the grind never stops, especially when the calendar flips to after July 4th, right? It's like it's go time until camp begins. Yeah, yeah, it's always go time. So, yeah, we've just been getting after it. It feels good to, to be this close to training camp to the start of a new season. So just uh, I'm really actually just excited to get back with the guys and, and get to work. 
Is there an excitement level to get back to some level of normalcy too? That like we did this last year, we weren't even sure like the exact start date of camp. There was just so much uncertainty one year ago. This year, there's a lot of certainty. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and especially being able to have our you know the biggest fan base in the NFL, the the, the loudest and and the most loving fan base in the NFL back in stadium is going to be amazing. So just to kind of have that normalcy back, to have some some things uh, are still a little you know uh, weird, but other than that, you know, things are starting to get back to normal and, and football is feeling more like football again. I mean, even fans at training camp, heck, doing something yeah. like this, like all the interviews we did during the season were via Zoom, like yeah. that's just another example. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that we're making some progress and I just hope that we continue to do so. You know, let me piggyback off your point about fans back at U.S. Bank Stadium. You guys did have a losing record at home last year. Mm. I mean, can you make that correlation that the fans make that much of a difference that it's weird for you guys to have a losing record at home? Yeah, yeah, definitely that is weird um, to do, but, uh, you know, we, we can't put the blame on it, on anything but ourselves. And, you know, this year we're going to come out and we, we take all that in consideration, everything that we did last year, everything that we accomplished and didn't accomplish, and we're going to go to work this year. And, and with the fans being there at U.S. Bank Stadium, it just makes that much of a difference, though. And um, I think they make the difference, even on road games. We, we have a very, very, very loving fan base that comes with us everywhere. So... Uh, I can't wait for them to be loud and proud in U.S. Bank this year. Did you see the comments recently from Anthony Barr? I forget where he did the interview, but it went viral pretty good. That His point, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but you guys have every piece of the puzzle that you need that, that you guys can win the Super Bowl. Would, would you agree with his assessment? I definitely would agree. Um, you know, we just have to go out there and, and put those words to action, but I definitely would agree. You guys were the number four overall offense last year. Is that sustainable? Uh, yeah, I think that we could even do better than that, but, um, you know, it, it just takes action. So we're going to go out there and we're going to have to just put it all on paper. Um, you know, the stats don't lie, so we're going to go out there and, and make sure that we live up to every expectation that we have for ourselves. This is, what, year three for you, 2019 draft pick. What do you now know about being an NFL running back that you didn't know maybe even a year ago? Man, it's uh, the number one thing. The grind doesn't stop. You know, it's uh, you're, you're in a situation where uh, you're kind of in control of your own career you're kind of uh, the the driving force the fuel to your own destiny so uh, for me I just try and fuel it up uh, the way that will get me to where my dreams uh, lead me to so you know I just understand now especially being around Dalvin uh, some of the ways to go about uh, the whole year you know off season leading into OTAs off season coming off of OTAs leading into training camp how to take care of my body things like that and then just you know just being able to have fun, um, not treating it as a job, treating it as, you know, the six-year-old kid that fell in love with the game uh, back in the day. Did you do anything different this summer compared to previous summers? Uh, yeah, yeah. This summer I actually took some time to spend with my family and, and had a vacation uh, with my family. And I think that was probably uh, one of the most important parts of my offseason uh, for my mental health. And um, I think that's, that's a strong point that I think a lot of athletes need it here and a lot of people need to hear that mental health is so important. So um, I made sure that I took that time for my own mental health and I feel, I feel amazing right now. As you look back at your year last year, I guess, how would you summarize it? What stands out? Um, man, saw the ups and downs, all, all the adversity. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're here and uh, we're pushing forward, striving forward. So I'm just really excited about what's to come. The transition with, with Clint Kubiak, I mean, the last name, I mean, not a whole lot's going to change, right? I mean, uh, he, he, he's his own man. He has his own uh, tricks up his sleeves, and 
uh, he's he's taking the reins in, in an amazing way. I think that uh, with with Big Coob, um, he was able to kind of show him the ropes a little bit, and now it's just his time to shine. And uh, I think we're gonna he's gonna do an amazing job. Have you set any individual goals for this year? Uh, yeah, but you know those, I like to keep those in in the back in the back of my head, and that that's my driving force, that's my motivation. But you know just. Uh, go out there and just be as productive as I can and contribute to this team. Uh, help us get to that that big big dance at the end of the day. On contributing to the team, I mean, do you feel solidified with your role that you know Dalvin is is the bell cow that, that you slot in right after him? Um, you know, yeah, I just you got to star in your role, and uh, you understand my role. Um, but just as he tells me, you know, try and take his spot, and that's kind of the way that I, I train. That's kind of the way that I operate, and that's just gonna push me. Um, you know, as my career grows. How special is Dalvin? Uh, he's super special. Yeah, it's my brother. He, he's showing me the ropes, and um, yeah, it's it, it's amazing to be around him. Him, Amir Abdullah, uh, C.J. Ham. We just got a, a great group of guys, and even with the young guys coming on, um, that running back room is special. We shift from the Vikings to the Twins. The aforementioned Sean Johnson was nice enough to connect with me via Zoom earlier this week. So the plan is, so Petty and Miller will come to Target Field. All the other Twins draft picks will go directly to Fort Myers. That's a change from years past. Typically, every draft pick would come here to Minneapolis and sign, get a tour of Target Field, you know, the red carpet rolled out, have a good time. But now, just about every draft pick outside of Petty and Miller will just head right to Fort Myers and sign. The Twins should end up signing, well, now, 20 draft picks, unless something changes on bird cell, but they should be able to sign 20 of their 21 draft picks. I got a draft recap from Twins draft boss, Sean Johnson. Sean, long time, no talk. Thank you for your time. I was hoping after you went petty that you might like usurp the Angels, find a way to topple the Angels who went, what, 20 pitchers in 20 rounds. You had a chance, Sean, to go 21 pitchers. You had 21 picks, one more pick than the Angels. Like, were you tempted at all to, to top? Not that you knew what the Angels were going to do, but uh, how about just overall, just, you know, as you look at, at your draft class, 21 players overall, happy with, with how things, you know, sh you know shaked out and, and turned out? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you get to today where the, when the dust settles and you're uh, – you just look back on process and how it went. And, and, uh, you know, I think it was a lot of action, especially day two and three and, and day one is always adventurous because you're just not sure who's going to make it down to your pick picking at the back. So you're trying to use as much information and gut feel on what, you know, who liked who and, uh, amongst the industry and, and, um, just hope it plays out. So, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you're always excited to, I guess our main goal always is to feel like we're taking players that we absolutely love and, you know, not just the scouts, but um, R&D, our, you know, working off our model, our player development guys who spend a lot of time in our process, you know, reviewing these players to make sure that they're comfortable bringing them on. Uh, so when those things marry up and align, we feel like we've, we we're on the right track. And I think this year's process, just looking back while it's still fresh is, um, as good as we've had in the last five years. And um, I think a lot of that is just continuity with our group and getting comfortable with our process and trying to upgrade and, and do new things, um, try new things with our approach and 
and get more people involved. Um, I think one of our mantras, uh, we have a winter book club that we do for our group just to try to keep people growing and moving. Um, a book that kind of resonated was uh, Wisdom of the Crowd. Um, and basically the principle is, you know, the more people you can get, the more opinions you can get on a topic, or uh, in this case, it's player evaluation, um, the more of a chance you give yourself the chance to, to make the right bet on the player when you go to spend the money that we're spending on these players. So in that regard, we feel amazing about how it's coming along and where it's going. And, and um, I feel great about our group, proud to be, you know, the face of it, but there's so many people behind the scenes that have done so much work and spent so much time on the road. You know, we've been watching these guys. We've had scouts at games since the middle of January. So it feels like some of those guys we've seen on the board were we saw a year ago, you know, it just feels like a long time. So um, to get through it, a difficult spring with a lot of pandemic stuff still going on and restrictions and protocol, uh, our guys did a heck of a job. I'm, and I'm proud of the group. I mean, I suppose too. I mean, you talk about, you know, seeing a lot of these kids going back to mid January. I mean, really truth be told, I mean, especially some of the college guys, a lot of the college guys you took, I mean, you only took what two high schoolers. So 19 of the 21 guys you took college players. Like I'm sure you saw those guys like going back to like what 2019, maybe even when they were in high school, like it's a lengthy, lengthy process with a lot of these guys. Yeah. The, the college guys, you, you know, most of them we've seen since, the summer before their senior year of high school. So you have a little more track record and familiarity. Um, but again, you know, it, it hits you pretty quick that you don't have a, for the college group, you don't have a USA performance or a Cape Cod or Northwoods league performance to kind of bank on uh, to give you a little more confidence in who's who. So, you know, I think we spent a lot of the time, February, March, trying to sift through, the guys we thought may or be may or may not be suspects instead of prospects and and um, you know gravitate towards a certain group and then really work on seeing those guys a lot um, and again you're you're working we're trying to eliminate the first half of the first round so the rockers the lighters the jobs we didn't you know we didn't we don't have ten reports on those guys but you know Chase Petty we had you know I think eight or nine um, Noah Miller we had the same amount so you're hoping that your coverage pays off. And in this case, we, it did. You know, the guys we took in the first five rounds, we had a lot of looks, a lot of reports, a lot of opinions, and uh, you feel great about that. Okay, so you mentioned the book club. Is that new? Like you mentioned something, Sean, about maybe implementing some some new things. Like what, I guess, expound on that. What Was the book club new this year? What else was, was new about this pre-draft process compared to the other ones you've led? Um, our, our book club has been going on for probably about five years. We started that, uh, just as, you know, I thought, how do we keep some of our guys that have been here 25, 30 years, we've got some guys that have been doing a year or two. So we've got this wide spectrum of experience on our, with our group. So how do we keep those guys that have been around and done things the same way for a long time? How do we get them to expand their mindset and their thoughts about how we approach things and evaluation and interviewing skills it could be anything we we've covered a lot of cool books and and you know we'll we'll uh get together and talk about it like what does it mean to what we do and um so i think we've seen some growth there and it's really i'm i'm really proud of how that how far that's come and just trying to open up our guys to keep learning keep growing uh keep looking at things a different way because it's really hard you've done the same thing for 20 plus years it's hard to change and uh, we're not asking people to change 
uh, wholesale changes. It's just maybe take a step back and say, how can I do these things better that apply to what we're doing? And I think by and large, our guys have gravitated to that and look forward to those things. And, and uh, it's just really keeping our mindsets open to change and ex- you know, explore new things and try new things and fail and then maybe come out with on a different path because we at least try to take that step forward. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to player evaluation and tools and getting the grades right and getting your draft list right. Um, but there's a lot of other things just with a, a culture standpoint and um, chemistry with our group is important. It's a separator. Our, our communication, you know, we think as good as there is in the game amongst our, our group of scouts and with our player development and having that those things all tied together and working in one you know big group is really hard to do it takes a lot of energy but we certainly think it's worth it were you surprised that petty was on the board at 26 um we we thought he you know i, I guess we'd say we weren't sure he'd be there i, I would have if, you, if i had to make a small wager um i would say we wouldn't have expected him to be there we thought he might get to the back half of the first round but um you know, I, I certainly wasn't counting on him being there. I'll say that. All right. So what makes him so good? I mean, you brought up one of the high schoolers, uh, Job, and, and not that you guys studied him because you knew he would go top five. There was no reason to have all these eyeballs on him, do all this homework on him. But like, you know, let's use him compared to Petty. Like what's what's the separator there? Because I mean, I'm just I'm reading about Petty and I'm like, there's so much to like about the kid. How the heck does he get to 26? He might be right up there with all these other high school arms. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Petty really separated himself. Um, he's got four now present pitches with command, with life. His makeup's really good. And he was kind of, a, you know, we saw him last summer, and it was 90, 92, 94. And then this spring, he made a jump. So you're seeing that nice linear step forward. Um, so it's probably a little cleaner and a little more, a little safer. And his pitches are all above average uh, today. So there's a chance that, I know I won't talk too much about Joe, but, you know, he might be the best pitcher in this draft in five years. He, he may not, you know, because of the volatility of the high school guys, as we know. But, um, you know, you, you, we, we really needed some arm talent in our, in our system. Um, that's not why we took – we would have taken all pitchers like the Angels if we thought it was that bad. You're still taking the best guy, but – to get a chance to acquire a guy like Petty where you're not worried about velocity coming on. There's nothing to project. It's about refining Chase Petty and his pitches and his mix. And again, you have a lot of safety taking Chase Petty when you have a player development group in our pitching group specifically, that is excellent. And um, you know, we're, he's going to be in good hands. And I, when I talked to him at, you know, right after we selected him, I got a chance to speak with him for a few minutes and, that's one of the main things I wanted to tell him was you're in great hands. Uh, you're going to be with the best people in the game and we're going to have a great plan for you. And we know he's got the work ethic and obviously the charisma, as I'm sure you've seen, um, you know, the guys, he loves to play. He loves to be in the dugout. Um, we know all these things about him, which you can bank on those things um, to, to stay aligned with our player development. Cause we you know we want to take guys that our guys can make better and optimize and, and, grow and teach and so taking guys with the right mindsets um, is is the way to go and that's what we think is the best way to move forward so you can look back at a lot of our picks up high those guys have fit in nicely with our with our player development and uh, taken a liking to the things that we have to offer them to make them better and that's really 
you know, the main thing outside of evaluation procurement is making sure they have a path forward with the club and in our system. And, and that's our goal every year. He's got a little Jersey moxie to him, right? I mean, he's from Jersey. You know, I hate to go with the stereotype, but like, you know, you think about Jersey Shore and just kind of that, 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 you know, he's an extrovert for sure. I mean, that's the way he comes across. Like, it seems like he's probably got a lot of bulldog in him. Like, you know, what I saw on TV the other night probably carries, you know, onto the mound. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with a hundred percent with all that. One of my favorite days of the spring, you know, cause I think I told you, I went out there with Mike Radcliffe. We both flew from Atlanta to Philly. Uh, we were in like a cherry red Dodge charger. Um, and we're cruising out and just, we're trying to blend in, right. Whatever. And, and, uh, you know, we had lunch at a place down the street from his high school. It was a beautiful day. We had a great meal and all the people walking in, it is very Jersey shore um, that he is from 100%. So, you know, his, his persona definitely fits there. You know, I'm from Kansas. I don't feel like I, uh, you know, would probably fit in too well where he's from, but uh, it was a beautiful day that we got to spend together with Mike and uh, we saw a good performance and he definitely, uh, fits the Jersey Shore thing to a T. No signability issues. I mean, you guys have a great relationship with his advisor. It's it's Dan who who represents Josh Donaldson. So you guys did the Josh Donaldson deal with with Dan. I think Dan also has Louis Arise. I mean, a good relationship with the advisor. I suppose when you take a kid at twenty six, the expectation is there probably won't be any signability issues. Yeah, that's the hope. I, and I think we're in line to sign all twenty one guys that we took. Uh, the last three days. So, um, so far, so good. We're still hammering out the details and, and getting the, trying to get the deal completed, but uh, so far, so good. All the arms that you took, like all in pretty good shape, you know, how much wear and tear from, from the spring and this early summer, like if you sign, like you said, I mean, you're going to sign all these guys. You took what 11 pitchers. So looking at the 11 pitchers you took, like, can they get down to Fort Myers and throw the rest of this summer? Or are you going to shut any guys down? Um, I think to be determined, I think we'll look at, you know, what, how many innings do have they thrown this spring? Some have thrown a lot more than others, but I think we'll be mindful of, you know, either we need to ramp some guys up or ramp some guys down. And you, you may see some guys not get into games since we're so late into the summer. Uh, it might be a shutdown. Let's get to work on the body and some other things on the side. Um, where some guys may need some game co competition and some innings. So I think it's case by case. And, uh, you know, Alex and his group will, will navigate that and have a good plan for those players. So Noah Miller, you take him at 36. He was, he was here last week. So presumably you had him at target field for, for the workout. He must've, he must've aced that workout. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I told his advisor, you know, we just love to have him come over. He doesn't have to do anything on the field. We just want to get a chance to connect with him and, uh, the same thing with Povich. He he offered to throw a bullpen, but we'd seen Kate throw a lot of games in the, in the spring. And, uh, you know, Miller, we had seen a lot. You know, I had just seen him uh, two weeks before that workout, and then that was my second look on him. And we had a bunch of other guys see him. So it wasn't really a necessity of let's try to figure out. And we, we don't like doing that in general, bringing guys in, um, you know, right before the draft is, you know, we're not – that's not really our MO. But it was, you know, they're local guys. Um, so they drove up, you know, their families came up, got to see Target Field, and which is a really good selling point really for us because we think Target Field's the best. So um, it was more of a chance to get to know him, but obviously, he, you know, he did well that day on the field, but 
uh, you know, before he got here, we were, we were big Noah Miller fans and, and, uh, but to get a chance to spend a few minutes with him and connect and get around our people and um, get some more comfort with him, I thought was great. And, and, you know, he's just an amazing kid with the, with the great baseball IQ and, and um, he's just one of, you know, high school guys are pretty volatile and, and somewhat risky, but we think he can hit from both sides of the plate. We think we'll have power. If he stays at short, that's great. If he doesn't, we think he's going to have power to profile, you know, at second or third or wherever else. So um, we're just, you know, I, I've said this before, but I, you have certain, you have certain guys on the board. There's, you know, you've got, you're staring at this giant board of players, but there are a handful of guys you don't want to walk out of that room without. And Noah Miller was absolutely that guy, you know, amongst others. But, um, you know, we knew he wasn't, we picked that it was the last pick of the first day. We knew there's no way he was going to make it to our next pick. So, you know, staring at the other options on the board, the, the move is to take the player you can't live without. And that's how we felt about Noah Miller. Heck, were you tempted to take him at 26? Uh, we had guys that would take him at 26 in our room, sure. Um, you know, uh, we, again, he was at the top of our board, and um, he's hard not to like. He's a guy you, you don't always – if you just went and saw him one game, you may not be super excited because he doesn't look like Byron Buxton or any of those twitched up Aaron Hicks guys, you know, where it's like, whoa, this guy's got, because he's not the livest body guy in the world, but he's extremely skilled. He has high instincts. There's not a lot that you think can go wrong from the defensive standpoint. And we love to swing from both sides. So you put that together. He's a really nice pick. Um, because he's got this this great collection of skill and talent and tools. Um, and again, the switch hitter is very rare. Usually you, when you see guys in high school, you know, they've got one swing is really better than the other. But for for uh, Noah, it's, you know, he's really got a nice swing and foundation from both sides. So that's the plan. I mean, for now, keep him at shortstop. Maybe eventually he moves to third or second, but right now shortstop and let him keep switch hitting that that it's about even right side, left side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if he will, I think we'll keep him at short for as long as we can and let him stay there, keep his athleticism. You know, he's a playmaker, you know, he, he knows how to make plays and complete plays and who knows with shifts and where those will be when he gets to the big leagues. Um, you know, positioning is a, a big thing now, you know, with our advanced group that does a great job in the big leagues. Um, he knows kind of where he, he kind of reminds you of Pedroia back if I'm going way back to, guys that just seem to make plays that you didn't think they could make. And that's, that's Noah Miller. He just gets to balls. He's got a great release. He's got a great clock. He knows how fast he needs to get rid of the ball. Um, and to do that at an 18, you know, being 18, that's not normal. Um, it usually takes some guys some time to figure that stuff out, but he's got that now. And I think a lot of it is knowing his background, you know, pulling information from his older brother, who's already made the climb to the big leagues is a real, you know, incentive for him. It's, it's a nice thing for him to have because most players at 18, if you have an older brother in the big leagues, you don't have a feel for that yet, but he certainly does. And he's taken advantage of his environment that he's been growing up in. And, and that's evident when you see him play. Yeah. Older brother and infielder with, with the Indians, if you want to play the comp game. Okay. So you made the comp with Pedroia, Petty and Max Meyer, like, and, and it was a tweeter who brought it to my attention. It's not like I saw it you know, with, with my untrained eyes, but somebody tweeted me and said, look at the delivery, like Petty and Max Meyer. There's, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, obviously his velocity is a lot further than Max's when we took him out of high school. You know, he was closer to 90 than he was 100, um, and Petty's already doing that. But they may have similar breaking balls. Um, I, Petty's changeup is really good uh, for, you know, we, since last summer. So he's got that pitch, too. Um, it's just going to be a matter of bringing that slider along and watching that evolve. Again, safety with our PD, who can, you know, figure out how to cr- make his mix uh, optimize whether he's going to have a – because he's got fastball sink, too. This guy will throw 100-mile-an-hour sinkers, you know. So whether he turns into a four-seam guy or a two-seam guy, to be determined. But um, when you're not exactly sure how it's going to go, you have to really lean on the athleticism and how well the guy moves, which we feel like he does, across, you know, across the board. We feel like he's, you know, again, like Max, you know, a good athlete who can do other things. Um, so if maybe Chase was a lesser athlete, you'd be a little more concerned with, with that when you're not sure exactly the pitch profile. Um, but uh, we're banking on all those things coming together. And, and uh, you know, he's going to need to maintain his, you know, be really good and diligent with his arm care. But again, we knowing the player the way we do, John Wilson, our area scout, has had a great relationship with the player for a year. Another thing you have to bank on in the room, you have to have confidence that we actually know the player to give them that kind of money. And, um, you know, our area scouts across the country all do a fantastic job of getting to know these players to give the group in the room confidence to make the pick. And, and this is the, that's the case uh, here as well. Yeah. I mean, John is, is a plus. In fact, he told me, who knows, maybe he was lying to me. He said, he told you guys to take Mike Trout years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I don't have full knowledge of that conversation, but I'm sure he did. Yeah. Knowing John, but yeah, he's, a, he's a beauty. He's a 30 plus year twins employee and has done a, a great job for a long, long time. So we feel, you know, the Northeast was loaded this year and, uh, thankfully we had John Wilson up there who does a fantastic job. All right. And, and one more on, on Meyer Petty. So it's probably the slider. That's the separator, right? That, that Max goes top five, the velos off the charts, but he's got that that wipe away slider. I mean, that's why Max was in the futures game on Sunday. It's when not if he'll be up soon with the Miami Marlins. He goes what number three overall in the draft. That Petty slider maybe isn't quite the Max Meyer slider. So we can look at delivery, and delivery looks you know similar. But when it comes to maybe that one specific pitch, that's maybe why Petty goes twenty six, not top five. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, the guys, the pitchers that go in the first half of the first round, there's not a lot of guesswork in what their breaking balls or their out pitches are going to be. They're there, you know, so lighter, they're there. Um, Kumar rocker, they're there. You know, you don't have to do a lot of uh, dancing around with your evaluations. It's, it's pretty turnkey. So a little more air um, in petty slider from say Job's today. Now we fully think that he's got the right, delivery, arm action, um, dexterity in his hand and wrist to have all those things to where the pitch is going to come on. Obviously, to have a good slider, you've got to have a pretty good fastball, right? So, you know, Max was throwing 90, 91 mile an hour sliders uh, his junior year. The summer before that, I mean, it's really, like I, I said that before, he certainly had the best slider in that draft and might have had the best slider in this draft or most every draft. It was really, really premium. So, um can Chase Petty have a similar one? Maybe. Well, time will tell, but we certainly think it'll be good enough to get people out. Who would you guys have taken? I mean, did you do enough homework? Who would you have taken if you if you had the first pick? Like, you brought up Lighter's name. You brought up Rocker's name. 
Would you have taken one of the high school shortstops or, or one of the high school pitchers, or would you have taken one of those Vanderbilt pitchers? Um, yeah, I don't know if I know. I mean, we would have, uh, I think most teams in the top five had split camps. There wasn't a lot of, you know, talking to those guys mildly, you know, there wasn't like consensus. This is the best guy. Um, we liked all those guys in the top five. I would say we might've leaned, um, Meyer, um, with the bat. We we've liked him for a long time. He was a shortstop on Keone Cavaco's team. So we'd seen him a lot, a lot more and know him well. And, has seen him evolve as a player. Um, he wasn't always that size that he, he grew the last couple of years, got a little more physical. Um, that would be my hunch. We, we love Davis. Um, we love lighter. I think um, one of those three probably would be the answer. Tell me a little bit about the uh, Michigan pitcher, the second round pick. Is it, is the pronunciation, is it Hadger? Am I saying it right? I believe so. Yeah, it's debatable, but I'm going to go with that. All right, yeah. so he tore his ACL playing, what, basketball a couple of years ago? But, you know, arm-wise, I mean, everything's everything's in line. Like, he's a guy that can yeah. maybe move through the system relatively fast. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw him at the Combine. Um, we've done the background work on all the medical stuff. Feel good about that. We saw him as a, uh, you know, in 2019, we saw him in a tournament in Arizona. He was really, really good. Um his velocity was really good. We love the curveball, the change. Depending on the day, we've seen him this year. The curveball was the best pitch. Some days it was the change. Um, but obviously, he's a horse. Um, big, durable guy with, you know, we think a full mix. And and um, really nice pick there in the second for us, you know, to get a starter, college starter. Um, we feel good about him, for sure. And then at 98, you get the Nebraska ace, Povich. He told me, Sean, his best pitch is – is his changeup? Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think we have the highest grades probably on the change. Um, probably the next one is the curveball. Uh, we've seen that really good on some days, and and um, we're going to probably. I'm sure we'll try to work on his slider some. It's probably the the fourth best pitch in his current mix, um, but he's got a slot to have a slider, a cutter, uh, whatever. But he's got command. I think that's the one thing. Um, you know, it's. He's not lighting the gun up at 95 a lot. Although we've seen him up to 94, um, but he can really pitch. And, um, you know, we, we've seen him get a lot of bad swing and misses. And surprisingly, even if he's just throwing 90 that day. So um, really banking on the command uh, to give him a chance to, you know, if the pitches click up a tick or two, you know, he's such a youthful looking guy, especially when, you, when you're up on him close and meet him. You know, he's, he's not – He's a somewhat projectable. Now, can we get more weight on him and size and strength? Going to be up to him um, and his genetics, you know, but where we got him in the draft, we feel excellent about it. Um, great kid, uh, starter potential. And, um, you know, if you can get a guy like that in that range of the draft, you, you feel pretty good about it. All right. So we hit on the four guys you took in the top 100. I'm not going to ask you about all 21 draft picks, but how about a guy or two that you took after that? that third round pick, you know, after pick 100, a guy or two that, that really, really excites you. Um, I've got to love them all at this point. So I'm not going to just pick That's one the cliche to answer. I know. I, 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 I know, get it. I, you took each kid for a reason, but how about the sure. spotlight one or two that, that, that went after that third round pick? Well, I'll stay in line. I, I guess Encarnacion Strand was a guy who had huge numbers in junior college with power and, and average and, he was going to Oregon State initially out of high school, uh, ended up there at, at Yavapai. 
Um, we saw him some there and then he came, you know, this, this year, he just put up great numbers at Oklahoma state. Um, we had him at a pre-draft workout in California. Uh, he's a Northern California kid. So we got to be around him a little bit there and, and get to know him. Um, I think, uh, you know, the power is real. He's a, he's just a strong beast of a man. Um, and uh, we like to swing enough. We thought he can got a chance to stay at third base and give us some impact there. Um, I think McLeod uh, in the fifth was, you know, we saw him, uh, Tim O'Neill and I, our assistant scouting director, we saw him at uh, Globe Life um, at February 19th. Seemed like, again, it seemed like a long time ago in that group with Hoglins and the Maddens and the, all those guys. And he was fantastic. I think he, you know, he had a tough, ending to the to the year and the world series and in the super um but we didn't get, let that get out of the way to, to not you know to not select him so we we felt good to get him in the fifth round if you told me you got him in the fifth in february i would have told you you're crazy so um another starting pitching candidate uh to give us some some depth in our system and and add to what we have going on in the minor leagues and um and i think that went on into day three trying to lean towards taking pitching um, I think that's where you kind of can hit on a few guys there versus maybe the, the position players. So we took more pitchers than, than hitters day three. Um, you know, you've got your Bailey Obers down in that range. You might get lucky on. And um, so we, we're excited about that group we took yesterday and, and overall. You brought up Madden's name. So that, that just hit me that, that the night of, of Sunday, you know, uh, the armchair drafters, right. Uh, we're sending me tweets wondering how this Texas pitcher kept sliding and sliding and sliding. And, and why didn't you guys take him? Let's say Petty was off the board. Let's say he goes 25 was Madden. Would he have been in your mix then at 26? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, another guy who's, you know, he got off to the, he got off to a great start and still pitched well. He pitched well in the big 12 tournament. Um, a big guy with velocity and a nice breaking ball. Sure. I, I mean, he would have certainly been in our mix. Um, I'm not sure why he, you know, he, they don't always slide. It feels like they slide just because they're in certain lists all year long in the top five or 10. Um, I think if you go back and look at, you could pull up a baseball America top 30 guys in the draft. A lot of those guys that were up there didn't finish there. So there was some underperformance from some of those guys. I'm not sure why Madden went down that far. I, I'm not sure it might've been an, an agent involved. It might've been there's a lot of factors there that we can't really see, especially picking at 26. Um, so we were surprised he didn't go as high as, as he ended up going, but uh, it's hard to say why. How about this Texas Tech pitcher you got in the 11th round? So on day three, there's a rotator cuff injury, but like just reading some things about him, you know, now there's a ton of guys in this draft class that throw it really, really hard, but he's one of them. He throws it really hard. He's got, it reads like a pretty good slider. Like, I don't know, just from afar, Sean, it seems like that's pretty good value to get in the 11th round. Yeah. Yeah. We're super excited about Birdsell. Um, a guy we saw and I, you know, I saw him in that globe life tournament as well. Texas tech was there. And, and uh, you know, after that, he came in relief there, they moved him into the rotation. He had a couple nice starts. Um, he's got obviously velocity. He's got two good breaking balls. We've seen a good curveball and a really good slider. So big pitches, chance to start, big bodied guy. Um, we'll see if, how that holds up. But I, uh, to your point, to get him in the 11th round, we're thrilled with. I mean, if he's a reliever, fine. I mean, 11th round, if you found a reliever 
that's got a chance sure. to climb through the system. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, not all these pitchers need to be starters. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, to get, you're always leaning towards the starters, but you know, I think what's left in that part of the, the draft is, you know, usually some lesser pitches and impact pitches where you're, you know, you're still going for impact. You're going for impact all the time, but um, to get a guy with that kind of stuff on day three, yeah, like you said, if, if he's a reliever one day, great. If he's a starter, even better. But uh, he's got a chance to be an impact guy at the major league level either way um, versus taking maybe a, uh, you know, a strike thrower with lesser pitches and no out pitch. You're always weighing which way to go with those guys. But uh, that's uh, we think that's a great pick there in the 11th round. I'll leave you with this. So with everything pushed back, like – is 2022 draft prep like well underway? Your scouts are out at the Cape Cod League and every other summer league. And are you going to watch some of these 2022, you know, class of, of 2022 high school kids at, at different summer tournaments? Like, are you hitting the road pretty quick yourself to to start working on, or maybe already have next year's draft? Yeah, we've uh, we've been planning all spring for this, like how we're going to approach that late May, early June, the days leading up to the draft, what's our approach going to be? Because we thought about, okay, we don't want to lose focus on this 21 group. But at the same time, we knew if we didn't dig into the 22s, we're going to miss some things. So we had, uh, we've had four or five guys already see Team USA, the national team. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, uh, Mike Radcliffe, Darren Johnson, Tim O'Neill are going to see the Olympic team versus the national team. I think in a couple of days. And then um, we've already seen a couple of 2022 high school tournaments. We had, they had a big showcase in Denver uh, a week ago. We had someone at that. So we've been covering the 22s already for a while. Um, you know, I, I saw the USA team um, the weekend before the guys came in for the draft. And because uh, if I didn't go, I may not see them. So to your point, like I'm going to, we'll, We'll have three or four guys in Cape Cod. I leave Wednesday for that for a week. And then right after that is East Coast Pro, area code run. And that's a 10-day gauntlet of, you know, sun up to sundown scouting, which is uh, always a grind. And then um, got the Petco event. We've got the USA trials in August. So there's a lot to see. And you know what? I would be remiss. You brought up Mike Radcliffe's name multiple times that you and him saw Petty. You know, you had the the great lunch there in Jersey and, you know, just Mike's story. It, it can't be told enough, right, Sean, that, that for him to, to defeat pancreatic cancer. I mean, you look at the numbers, Sean, like the chances of beating that are so minuscule. Right. And he's had some heart issues. And I mean, he's been with you guys since 1987. A lot of fans don't know who Mike is, but his fingerprints have been all over so many moves for the last, I mean, go back, right? I mean, 30-something years. Like, Mike Radcliffe is 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 twins immortality. Yeah, that's 100% accurate. And there's a reason why people don't know who he is because that's who he is. He's so mild-mannered and um, you know, humble, and he would never create, take credit for anything. But I would guess most fans' favorite player that they've had, you know, since 87, Mike's had something to do with it. He's taken all those guys. You know, he took Joe Maurer when that wasn't the – most popular choice he took he missed on the greatest college pitcher of all time but I mean if think about if he didn't do that you know this franchise would be in a different spot I truly believe that so that's the importance of what we do and 
um, to your point, like Mike survived pancreatic cancer in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so that's just a rough go. You know, it, we talked about it in the room. It had been 762 days since we were able to gather. And that's the last time we saw Mike really healthy, a lot of people. So <clears throat> to get him back in the room, fully engaged, he looks great. Um, his mind is terrific, like it's always been. His memory is amazing, like it's always been. Um, you know, he means a lot to me and, and everybody that's been around the twins a long time. He's the best. He's a legend, like you said. Um, he's in about every scouting hall of fame you can be in and there's deserves it. He's, he's uh, a beautiful man. So I, uh, appreciate asking about him and, um, you know, we're just, like you said, we're just lucky that he's it, of all the negative things that happened during the pandemic. He is truly the brightest spot. We'll end on that positive note. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Thank you. So again, my conversation with Sean was from Wednesday before the bird cell news broke on Saturday. The Twins' third-round pick, pick number 98 overall, was Cade Povich, a lefty starting pitcher from the University of Nebraska. If the Twins didn't take him at pick 98, the Blue Jays, Mariners, and Cardinals were all in on him in the fourth round. So there was a good chance... He was not going to get to the Twins pick in the fourth round. One of those three teams would have plucked him in front of the Twins in the fourth round. So they plucked him in the third round. I got to know Cade Povich. Here's my conversation with Twins third round pick, Cade Povich. Cade, I appreciate your time. Are you still riding the emotional high from Monday? Or if you had a chance to last, you know, 36 to 48 hours to really soak in just how cool a moment this is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lot of, um, I guess, celebrating a little bit with my family and um, spending time with them and, and, and you know, getting back to, to my coaches at Nebraska and, and my coaches in high school that have uh, kind of watched me ever since I was little and um, still just kind of trying to take everything in. I mean, how much of this also, Kate, is just it's one chapter – in what hopefully is a lengthy, you know, baseball book to use that cliche that that as cool as this is, this is just the very, very start. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of like, I guess, the middle of, of a whole story, uh, if you want to put it that way, starting when when I was little and um, kind of the, the journey through through high school and and going to junior college and then transferring to, to Nebraska and, and now getting drafted. And um, now I, I think the process of, and the, the kind of storyline of getting to the big leagues now is, is kind of that, that part of the, the story is kind of starting up now. You brought up going to junior college. How important was that year? Are you in this position without that year of JUCO? Uh, to be honest, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it, it, it taught me a lot about myself and, uh, kind of brought out the competitor in myself and, and allowed me to, I guess, mature in a way that, um, I don't think I would have been able to do without it. Uh, just having to learn to live by yourself. Um, I mean, with, with a couple roommates, uh, but we didn't have any kind of, uh, dining hall or anything like that. So we, we learned to cook for ourselves and, and shop to where we're not spending hundreds of dollars on food and, and junk and, and making sure we're eating right. 
when did becoming a, a draft prospect, having a realistic chance to get drafted and not only get drafted, but get drafted in your case in the top 100, when did that dream start to become reality in your mind? Like, was it junior year of high school? Was it senior year of high school? Was it your year at, at JUCO? Was it just this past year, the way you dominated for Nebraska? When, when did it really become, you know, on your radar that, hey, I have a realistic chance to be a very high draft pick? I think if you would ask me any time when I was younger, I'd, I'd always say that I was going to make it here one day. Um, I think on a realistic level, I, I think when um, I kind of went off to, to summer ball last year, I was, I was fortunate enough to go play for the Savannah Bananas and um, still somewhat play during during a, a weird year. And, um, you know, I, I started throwing a couple times and, and you know, there's started gathering some attention and, um, you know, all of a sudden I started getting some, some messages from teams, um, filling out like some just normal questionnaires and, and whatnot. And then once I got back to school in the fall, um, talking to, to different advisors and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, so more talk with teams picked up, started doing a bunch of zoom interviews. And then, um, you know, during, during our scrimmages, there'd be tons of scouts. I mean, not, not only just watch me also watch Schwelly and, and I mean, our team as well, cause we have, we have tons of guys that, um, even guys that weren't draftable this year, but uh, we'll probably get a lot of attention in, in the upcoming years. Did you have a sense as you woke up on Monday? I mean, you knew you were going to get drafted on Monday in all likelihood, 99.9% chance. And obviously it happened as you woke up Monday. Did you have a, a decent sense that, Hey, like Minnesota is a realistic option that, that you knew that the twins really liked you. Yeah, I went, so I went down there, um, last week to target field. Uh, I threw, threw a bullpen for some of the guys and, um, it was funny. I think Noah Miller, the, the shortstop that got drafted in, uh, the competitive round, I think in the first round, uh, he was up there as well. So I, I've kind of met him a little bit already, but, um, you know, from talking, we, we had imagined it would probably be somewhere in the fourth round is where we had thought I would go. Um, you know, obviously there's, it's, it's the draft and everything is kind of unpredictable. Um, if, if you ask me and my family, we probably all had a feeling it might've been the twins. Um, but, but once I got the call, it was earlier than I expected, but I'm perfectly fine with that. Okay. So you were here last week. So did you throw on the target field mound? Were you out in the bullpen? Who exactly was watching you? Because Clearly that went really well. Like if you didn't perform very well in that session here last week, I don't know if the twins take you at pick 98. Yeah, it was, so it was on target field on, on the game mound after um, they play, I think it was after their last game against the white Sox. Um, there was, I mean, there was a few scouts that the area scout from kind of my area in Nebraska is the one that, that reached out and, and kind of set it up. Um, but then I'd say there were probably 40, 45 guys there um, in, in different departments. I think the owner was there as well. So pr pretty important people. And um, I'm just, I'm glad I did well in front of all of them. Yeah. I mean, like just how nerve wracking was that? I mean, if you're talking about the owner, Jim Polad, if Derek Falvey was there, who, who runs the front office, Stad Levine is very high up the food chain in the front office, Sean Johnson, 
runs the draft, like presumably all those guys were right there watching you. Like how, how nerve wracking was it? Um, to be honest, it, it really wasn't too terrible. Um, you know, I feel like in the sense of it's, it's a bullpen. Um, so it's nothing crazy. Uh, and also kind of looking back on it, I, I threw in our last game against Arkansas in front of 15,000 crazy Arkansas fans. So um, if you can find out how to get over that, I, I think it's, it's pretty easy to, to throw in front of 40 guys. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, no denying that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard some of the Arkansas stories. How disappointed are you the way your, your season ended? Yeah, I mean, it, it always sucks to, um, you know, not win your last game of the year. And um, you know, obviously, we all are, everybody on our team's goal is to make it to Omaha. Um, you know, we fought through a, a crazy year. We we didn't have the, the non-conference schedule and, and all that. So we kind of knew at the beginning of the year that um, in order to make it to the postseason, we were going to have to win, win our conference. And we went out and did that. And, and then we ended up getting matched in with the Arkansas regional. And, um, you know, I, I think we stood in there until the very last, the very last round. And, um, you know, it was a dogfight, but it was it was a fun season and, um, you know, didn't end the way we necessarily wanted it to. But uh, I think there's a lot we can look back on and, and and be proud of. Kate, if you had to write a scouting report about yourself as we get to know you, I mean, I've watched some clips on on YouTube, on social media, but I haven't even seen you pitch a full game. So, like, what can I expect? What can fans expect when when they see you pitch on on, you know? whenever you next pitch, I mean, you know, we'll get into, you know, whether you're going to sign or not, but I don't think the twins took you in 98 for you to go back to Nebraska. So I think you're going to start your professional career at some point here relatively soon. So when we see you on, on a professional mound, what sort of pitcher will we see? Um, I'm kind of a guy that that's going to go out there and fight no matter what, I guess the situation is. Um, I, I think I have a lot of, a lot of strength to build on um, body wise. You know, I, I have a, kind of a smaller frame, tall and kind of tall and long. Um, so, I mean, I, I have room to gain velo still. I won't throw really hard, probably low 90s right now. Um, but, you know, I can kind of command everything. And um, I believe I have a, a high quality swing and miss change up and um, kind of a, a curveball that I can throw at any time and, and then a slider and cutter that I can mix in there as well and, and kind of locate all those whenever I need to. Which one is the best pitch? This year, I'd say probably the changeup. Changeup worked out a lot for me this year. So even if the velo is what low nineties, the way you command and throw your changeup, it doesn't matter that you don't throw ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, correct. I mean, I think obviously everybody wants to throw hard, but at the same time, you have to to be able to pitch and, and locate and um, kind of dissect hitters and, and break them down and um not make sure you're not getting into a pattern where they're going to expect and, and know what certain pitches are coming on the signability question i mean is it when not if that the plan is is to sign yeah i mean i think overall that's the plan i, I think um it, this is kind of something i've been waiting to do and it's something that um you know i i don't think i can pass up on an opportunity like this 
I mean, are the wheels even in motion for you to come up here again to Minneapolis to put pen to paper, like in the near future? Um, I know it's a quick turnaround, and and they're wanting me to go to to Fort Myers, I think, next week to to get going on um, kind of all the development stuff. Okay, so I mean, innings load wise, pitching load wise, you know, you mentioned it. I mean, it was only a Big Ten schedule. It's not like you had, you know, fifteen to twenty non conference games. So. Your arm's in good shape if, if the Twins want you to throw a little bit here before the summer is over? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been staying in shape. Um, you know, I, I think I've, I've progressed more throughout the years gone. And um, I think even, even on two days rest when I threw against Arkansas, I think my, my velo was – I hit some high numbers and um, some that I might not have hit all season long. Two days rest, huh? I mean, was that was that a selling point that you brought up to teams that, hey, you know, if you need me on two days rest, like I've done it before, like I'm a bulldog, just give me the ball, I'll be ready to go? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something uh, that I can play to my advantage, especially since, you know, it's something that I guess you can kind of look at when when you look at a, a two days rest scenario, like is Velo down and our pitches, you know, maybe not as sharp and um, – I think in my case, my velo was up, my, my pitches were sharp, and, and I was able to go out there. And um, that kind of takes away any, you know, is he going to be able to last deep in the games or last throughout a whole season? Um, I think that kind of answers those questions. You mentioned, Cade, that, that you already have a relationship with Miller, the the infielder the Twins took at pick 36. What about the the pitcher they took in the second round, the, the arm from Michigan? I mean – Big 10, like, do you know him? Do you know him at all? Uh, personally, I don't. Um, I, on the field, I obviously do. Um, you know, I think he, I faced him uh, our last week of the season um, before regionals. And that, that'll be a game I never forget. It was a one nothing ball game that we fortunately were able to come out with the win. And um, I mean, it, it was a battle on both ends. And um, it was definitely one of the more fun games to pitch in. I mean, I would bet I'm actually talking to Sean Johnson here later this morning. I'll ask him if if he or or somebody else from from the front office was was at that game. But I'm kind of thinking the way you just laid it out, a one nothing game. I'm guessing the Twins probably had decent representation in the stands that day. Oh, yeah, I would I would imagine so. <laughs> Anything else, kid, that we should know about as, as we get to know you, as we tell your story here in the Twin Cities? Not much. I'm, I'm just excited to, to kind of be a part of the program. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully one day I can, can make a, a big name in the Twins organization. And I mean, from everything you've gathered the last 48 hours, I mean, you know, I mean, I can tell you it's a good organization to join from a from a pitching development standpoint. There's there's many guys we can point to. There's Jose Barrios as the ace of the staff, who was a draft pick many years ago. Josh Winder was just in the Futures game. He's at Triple A. For the St. Paul Saints, he was a seventh-round pick a few years ago. Bailey Ober is in the Twins rotation right now. He was a 12th-round pick back in 2017 or 18. So, I mean, there are some recent examples of guys that were drafted well after you were drafted that have gotten really far in the organization. Yeah, I think that's definitely a plus when you look at it, too. Um, and kind of, kind of some of the guys that I've talked to have, I've mentioned, you know, they've had guys come in and, and make big jumps um, after getting into to kind of some of the development stuff. And, um, you know, I see no reason that can't happen for me as well. 
Kid, wishing you all the best. Hopefully you are in Fort Myers next week. You get that contract wrapped up pretty quick and we'll certainly be tracking your, your happenings moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Kate. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good okay. one. Okay. You too. Take it easy. Next week is NHL Draft Week. The festivities begin on Friday night. It's all being done virtually Friday night. Then the draft will wrap up on Saturday. The Wild have two first-round picks. Their draft boss, Judd Brackett, will end up talking to us on Monday afternoon, give us a preview. One player that the Wild, I'm sure, would take if he got to them in the early 20s is Grant, Minnesota native. Grant is right outside of St. Paul. He'll play for the Gophers this upcoming season. Chaz Lucia. So he played at Gentry Academy. Then he transitioned to Michigan with the USA development team. He likely will go between picks seven and I'm not quite sure he gets beyond 15 or 16, but maybe he gets to 18 or 19. But he is going to be the highest picked local player. I was at a recent workout of Chaz's at Van Ness Heights Arena. He recently got back on the ice. He was able to play some games at the end of uh, the USA season. So he was able to get back, you know, in, in game form. But he missed a good chunk of the season with a knee injury. If not for the knee injury, I think we'd be talking about Chaz Lucius going in the top five to top seven, top eight. Like he would be right up there with just about every other prospect. I know a lot of people have healthy opinions of the centerman. Now, some NHL teams, I'm sure, look at him maybe more as a wing, not a center, but he'll play center for the Gophers. He's been playing center pretty much his entire hockey life. Anyway, here's my conversation with NHL draft prospect. He's from the Twin Cities. He'll get drafted very high on Friday night. Future Gopher, Chaz Lucius. Chaz, the countdown is now days. I mean, think about it. I mean, you've been thinking about this moment for years, right? Then months. We're now down to days. Just take us through your emotions as the day is approaching. Yeah, it's, it's definitely really special for me just to have the opportunity to obviously get drafted. Uh, it's something you dream about as a kid, like you said. Um, so for me, I mean, I, this day has been a long time coming, and I'm just trying to enjoy the moment as much as I can. Have you visualized what that moment will be like when you name the team. Let's say it's the Chicago Blackhawks. I think they have, what, maybe pick 11, right? And, and their GM approaches the podium and announces that, that whatever organization it is, they are picking you. Have you visualized what, what that moment will be like? I mean, yeah, I try to visualize it every day, um, just, just with different things. Uh, but, I mean, I, you never really, really know until it's all said and done. So, I mean, for me, obviously, hearing my name called will be a big relief and, and something that I've looked forward to from a young age. You said dream come true. When did you first have the dream? Uh, I'd say when I first laced up the skates at eight years old. I, I always figured out that, uh, you know, eventually this is something that I wanted to do and I always wanted to be a high draft pick. And, and ever since, I mean, I'd probably say eight, nine, ten years old, right around there, I really had a passion for the game and, and wanted to win and, and wanted to go very far with it. So the first time you laced up the skates was eight years old? Correct, yeah. That's interesting, right? Because especially here in the state of hockey, you hear about kids lacing up the skates at two, three, four. A lot of kids start playing at, what, five and six. 
So did you play some other sports before hockey? Yeah, so originally I got into basketball and soccer. Those were my two big sports. Uh, my mom played basketball at the University of Minnesota Mankato, so that's kind of how that started. And, uh, you know, just growing up in Minnesota, all my buddies were playing hockey, so I figured out that I might as well give that a try. And, and ever since, I've never really looked back, and, and I've had a big passion for hockey and loved it ever since. I mean, when did it hit you then that, hey, I'm really good at this, like I can really go a far away playing hockey. Uh, probably my brick year uh, when I was 10 years old. I, I, I mean, I played against the best competition for my age group in that and then did well in that tournament. And, and ever since then, I thought that if I, if I ever had the opportunity to keep going and keep playing, that, that I'd work as hard as I could to, to get to where I want to go. So it happened pretty quick. So you lace up the skates for the first time and play at eight, and all of a sudden, by the time you're 10, I mean, just God-given ability? Like, how did it happen so fast? I mean, originally when I started hockey, I wasn't the best. Obviously, you got to learn how to skate and do all those things. But I feel like it's a testament to my work ethic. Even at a young age, I, I really worked hard at, at, at what I was going for, whether it was in the classroom or, or on the ice or whatever, whatever I did. I, I always had a passion for it, and I always worked as hard as I could. The work ethic, is that a selling point when you're interviewing with teams? Presumably, you've had a lot of interviews with teams. Is that one selling point that you have for, for these front offices that, hey, if you draft me, you're not going to find a harder worker? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd say my work ethic is what separates me the most. Obviously, you need athleticism and you need natural ability, but for me, what separates me the most, especially at playing hockey at the high levels, I'd say is my work ethic for sure. What else has stood out from, from those interviews? I mean. Have you pretty much interviewed with just about every team also? Yeah, I, I, I have. Uh, I mean, different things stand out for sure, but I think the most important thing is just in the interviews is telling teams, you know, who you are and just being yourself is, is what I've tried to do in all the interviews. Have any front offices tried to throw you for a loop? Do they ask you some weird questions? Uh, I honestly haven't had too many weird questions, but definitely you get the odd one in there for sure. <laughs> What are some of the questions they typically ask you? Um, I guess, you know, family life, how, how's your work ethic, uh, what do you think you're going to be one day if you're an NHL hockey player, um, just kind of pick at your brain and then see kind of what your personality is like and, and where you think you're going to go. All right, well, how about, okay, what do you think you'll be like as an NHL player? Uh, you know, I hope when I look down five, six years from now that I'm, that I'm playing a top role on an NHL team, that I'm, that I'm scoring goals and, and doing the best I can for the team that selected me. You mentioned five, six, seven years. I mean, that's so far down the road. How much of, of what's coming up here, the draft, is just, it's one tiny chapter in, in your hockey book that this is really just the start. As cool as it is, there's so much more to do after the fact. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've always told myself once the draft's over, uh, I guess it starts a new chapter in your hockey career. Everything changes from that point on. Uh, you become a professional at that point, you know, when you when you decide to, and then uh, you know you got to prove your game at the pro level as well. What kind of player are you? I mean, we know you're a center, but like if you had to write a scouting report about the player you are, what would that scouting report say? Uh, yeah, I'd say I'm a, I'm a shoot first guy. Uh, I, I like to play hard. Uh, I like to throw the body around when I can. Uh, I feel like I use my frame well. Uh, I'm a really good passer and then I, I use my teammates well to get open and, and create space for my shot. Take pride in playing both ends too. I mean, yes. yeah, I mean, just what kind of defensive player are you? Uh, I, I'd say I'm a, I'm a little more offensive a defensive player. I, I, I like to kind of join the rushes when I can, uh, but also, you know, when the puck's in our zone, I, I like to take pride there, and I feel like in general defense usually leads to offense, so I try to take a lot of pride in my defensive zone as well. High IQ too. I mean, I suppose when you played the center position, 
you better think the game at a very high level. Yeah, I, I felt like from at a young age, I always thought the game very well. So I feel like the center position for me was was an easier position to go into, just kind of controlling plays and dictating the play a little more on the ice. Always play center, like when you were 10, 11, 12? Yeah. Is that when you first started to play yeah, center? I played center growing up all the way through, yeah. So, I mean, it was just natural and inevitable that, you know, as the competition increased, you would stay at the center position. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems like like every team is looking for a centerman, right? Like the team I cover, the Minnesota Wild, like they're desperately looking for a center, right? Like it's a per I would think the perfect position to be playing. Yeah, it's it's definitely easier for sure when you're talking teams playing the center position because I feel like at the center position is pretty versatile. I feel like you can do a lot more uh, from the position, and then I feel like for the most part, hockey IQ sticks out in that position. Then obviously my shot and my passing ability. Would it be cool to end up with the with the hometown wild? They have two first round picks. Like a lot of people have said, hey, Billy, Billy Garen, Bill, package those two first round picks, move up, take you. Uh, yeah, obviously that would be pretty cool uh, to be drafted by the hometown team. I mean, just watching the games when, I, when I'm when growing up and still to this day, it's obviously really special. So if I ever had the opportunity to be drafted there, obviously that'd be a really cool experience. Have you had some pretty good conversations with, with their guys, Judd and those guys? Yeah, I've had some conversations with them for sure. Uh, I think great organization and yeah, like I said, if I ever had the opportunity to get drafted there, I think it'd be great. How excited are you to start your Gophers career? I mean, we're talking all about the NHL draft, but locally a lot of fans will be able to watch a lot of you starting in the fall when you play for the Gophers. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, obviously I committed at a young age, 14 years old, and, and ever since I always knew that that was the school that I wanted to go to and, and where I wanted to, you know, start my college hockey career. And, and for me, I mean, the decision was pretty easy to go there. Uh, great coaching staff, uh, great people there, and just meeting the guys, great players as well. So I'm really excited for that opportunity for sure. You mentioned committing at an early age. I remember we went to one of your games. It was in Bloomington. It must have been the Ice Garden. And it was shortly after you committed. So I suppose it was like 2017. You know, so the spotlight was on you in many ways four years ago. Like, how have you been able to handle the spotlight being on you for so long? Uh, I feel like for me, I, I try not to get caught up in it. I, I know who I am as a person, uh, you know, what I'll bring to the table one day as a hockey player and as a person. So I feel like in that aspect, nobody can really take that away from me. And when I go out on the ice, I just try to prove to myself and, and to the people that help me uh, get to where I am right now, you know, what kind of player I am and, and what I'll bring to the table when I play and step on the ice. Are you a better hockey player or person? Uh, I'd say both. I mean, I, I try first and foremost to be the best person I can be, and then I feel like from that from that aspect, I feel like then hockey really translates, at least in my game of, of being a better person, then I, I feel like I'm a better hockey player from it as well. Who's in your support circle? Clearly, you didn't get to this point all by yourself. Who are the people that you need to thank? Uh, obviously, my family, mom, dad, my brother Cruz, uh, and then uh, my youth coaches growing up uh, since I was 10 years old, Billy Hangan, Joe Jensen. Uh, I mean, they coached me all the way up until I left for the NTDP, and then uh, my skills coach, Cole Bassett. Uh, so I really owe a lot to them and, and, and thank them for, for everything. So last summer, Approximately, give or take, about this time, left knee surgery? Yeah, correct. It would have been, uh, my surgery day was August 21st, yeah. So, I mean, if I had told you August 22nd is you're laying in a hospital bed, 
you know, like, was it hard to, to visualize getting back to this point just when you're in that situation? Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. I feel like in general, I mean, nobody really wants to hear that they're going to be injured uh, for a little portion of time during their draft year, especially a year that I was really looking forward to and, and, and took a lot of pride in. Uh, but I mean, from day one of, of having the surgery, I promised myself that I wasn't going to get sad, wasn't going to get down and just, you know, kind of build off this and become a better player and uh, obviously a person from it too and get mentally strong. Was it harder to come back from the injury from a physical standpoint or what you just mentioned, the, the mental side? Um, obviously there's, a, there's better days and there's not, not so good days, but for me I, I feel like mentally I was already mentally strong in, in my abilities and what I was capable of, but I'd say more of the physical part of just, you know, I wasn't able to walk for, you know, three months and I was in a wheelchair the first six weeks, so just that, that aspect of it was definitely, definitely crazy for me and definitely new, but I always knew that I was going to come out better, so I'd probably say more of the physical aspect of it. And then you spent some time in what is it, a hyperbolic chamber? Yeah, a hyperbaric or... oxygen chamber, yeah. Uh, so I was in there uh, three months, Monday through Friday, uh, two hours a day, and that really helped, uh, at least in my particular injury, uh, you know, be better from it and, and grow back the bone in my knee that needed to be grown back. So what is the official, what was the official diagnosis? Did you tear some ligaments? Like what, what did they tell you? No, so just a bone lesion in my knee. So a bone lesion is basically just dead bone. So they just scrape out the dead bone and they took bone marrow from my back and just put it in my knee. And from that, from that point on, it's just letting the bone kind of grow back and heal itself. And now, I mean, you made the comeback with, with your U.S. team. And as we sit here in mid-July, I mean, the knee 100%? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's actually never felt better, and I'm excited. Uh, just no pain in my knee, both knees. It's, it's awesome, and, and I'm really excited for the future and what it holds for me. Do you think some people are sleeping on you as a prospect, that because you missed some time with the injury, that that they don't realize how, how special a talent you are? Yeah, I think that definitely affects it for sure, unfortunately. But, you know, like I've said to myself when I had this injury, those things are probably going to happen, and that's unfortunate. But I, I proved to myself, and most importantly to myself, what I'm capable of uh, and, and what I'll bring to the table I know at the NHL level one day. And, and I think, you know, wherever I go in the draft is where I'm going to go. I can't control that. But the most important thing I can control is, is what I do after that. Do you pay much attention to the mock drafts? Do you look at some and say, why do they have me at pick 15 or pick 17? I should be pick seven. Do you um, do any of that? No, I try not to pay too much attention to it. Uh, I, I feel like in general, I feel like that kind of gets in people's heads, in at least my case. So I just, I just try to go and live in the moment and wherever I get picked is where I get picked. And I, I hope to be picked to a great team and a great organization that believes in me. Do you have a plan, like an ideal plan in place? like? Do you play a really good year for the Gophers and then if all works out, you sign immediately after the season? Um, I don't really have a plan in place. However long it takes to get there is, is, is I guess, what it takes. Uh, I mean, I, I got my two feet in with the Gophers right now and I'm, I'm ready to play hockey for them. So, I mean, that, that's really my main focus right now and trying to be the best teammate and, and best player I can for them. What's your balance right now of, are you doing any bonding with your new teammates? Are you doing any workouts on campus? like? Are you getting to know your surroundings over on campus yeah, yet? Yeah, so I've been doing uh, workouts there, and uh, I've, I've been on campus a couple times. Uh, so just trying to get to know the campus a little bit and, and, and getting acclimated with that. Is there an NHL player that you mirror 
your game after, or maybe you go to YouTube and you oftentimes watch clips of one particular player, or maybe it's a few players? Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to I watch a lot of Steven Stamkos and Mark Scheifele. I feel like, in general, I feel like it's a really similar game in the way that they play. They're two bigger bodies. They can score from pretty much anywhere on the ice, whether it be a rebound goal, tip goal, a shot from the top of the circles, and then they're also really good playmakers that, that use their passing ability as well, and I feel like they play, play a good, strong 200-foot game. Also, just leadership qualities I mean both guys just exude big-time leaders yeah definitely I, I try to look up to that for sure uh, obviously Steven Samco's captain of the Tempe Lightning um, and then uh, obviously Mark Shifley a big leader in Winnipeg so I mean I definitely look up to them and, and try to lead lead by example and obviously lead with my play is there one like is it Samco's or is it Shifley that that a lot of people say okay like you mirror that one guy um, I, I'd probably say, I mean, honestly, it's a mix of both. I feel like I'm, I'm my own player, and I've always told myself that. But, I mean, probably, like I said, I'd say a mix between both players. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you want to get out there? Is there anything that people should know about you as we tell your story? Um, I'd say the most important thing is that I'm a really driven guy, motivated. I, I'm a hard worker, and, uh, you know, I have a passion for hockey and, and love the game. What about you would surprise us? Um, yeah, I don't think too much. I feel like I'm a pretty open book with the aspect of I, I tell my story. I'm, I'm open with people and, and, and try to get my story out there, not only for myself, but, you know, if somebody else is going through an injury like I went through that's at a younger age or playing a sport to kind of help them and, and, and share that with them also. Is this time kind of a long time coming that even locally maybe you flew under the radar because you went out to to Michigan. I mean, who wouldn't go out there and play for the U.S., but that because you didn't play a lot of local hockey, high school hockey per se, that, that maybe locally some people are sleeping on you? Um, I don't really know about that. I, I can't really speak on other people's behalf. So I just know that going to the NT, NTDP was one of the best decisions that I made for my hockey career, and I, I spent a great two years out in Michigan, and I, and I would never change it. In the dialogue with Coach Motzko, that's been a plus, like yeah, no, ready to rock and roll, and rock you have a sense of how he wants to use you? Uh, yeah, uh, I do. Obviously, you know, work for my play, work for my ice time, and like I said, my two feet are in the door at the University of Minnesota, and I'm, I'm ready to play there and, and, and be, be there for my teammates and, and, you know, play a good, good, solid game that I can play there. Would the hope be that you're, you know, a top six forward, though, that you get that maximum ice time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's always the hope. But like I said, you know, you have to work for everything that you get. And, and you know, I don't just want things to be given to me. I want to work for it and, and have the opportunity to showcase my skills there. So with everything being done virtually, Chaz will end up watching the draft in Michigan. Chaz's younger brother, by the way, is in Michigan playing with the USA Development Program. That is Cruz Lucius. He, too, is a Gophers commitment to the Lucius family, a very good hockey family here in the Twin Cities. Let's wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 359 with my recent conversation with Mountain West Player of the Year. He played for Jim Dutcher's son at San Diego State. Really good player for the Aztecs, Matt Mitchell. Matt Mitchell was in town recently for that group workout. 25 NBA teams had scouts at Target Center. For that group workout, they didn't play five on five. It was three on three, one on one, combine type testing. But anyway, I got good feedback from a couple of people that were there. 
about Matt Mitchell. If he doesn't get drafted, he'll be one of those priority guys after the draft that can land a two-way contract or at least an Exhibit 10. Heck, maybe the Wolves would have some interest. As of now, the Wolves do not have a draft pick. Anyway, here's my conversation. I wanted to get some background on the Minnesota group workout. I wanted to ask him about playing for Coach Dutcher. Remember, Dutcher's name came up for the Gophers job. He has that clause in his contract where he can escape with no buyout, but it just it never got to the point of Coyle and Dutcher having hardcore conversations. But certainly Dutcher was on Coyle's radar at one point before Coyle went the direction of Ben Johnson. So anyway, I thought there were a couple topics I could hit Matt on. So here's my recent conversation with former San Diego State player, the Mountain West Player of the Year, the reigning Mountain West Player of the Year, Matt Mitchell. Matt, I appreciate your time. How about we start here? What about the pre-draft process do you now know that let's say you didn't know, let's say when the when the college season ended, when you played your final game for San Diego State, what do you now know about going through the pre-draft process that you didn't know then? Um, I would say um, in terms of not knowing things, um, I didn't know uh, how my process was, was going to unfold, um, if I was going to be able to uh, participate in everything, barring COVID, uh, being vaccinated, how traveling was going to go. Um, just in general, the the, the realm of, of workouts. Um, but I, I can say I'm definitely glad um, that I've been able to participate in all these workouts uh, fully um, and be vaccinated um, and really just partake in everything to the full extent. Has anything surprised you about about your workouts? We'll get to the specific workout you had here in the Twin Cities late last week, but I know you've also worked out for some individual teams. Uh, definitely. Um, I think uh, what surprised me is being able to get the invites to the different combines um, and definitely surprised me about being able to show up at the Minnesota Combine. And uh, I think it was uh, newer this year. And so being able to participate that in that and, and, and being able to be in front of all the teams uh, that were there was definitely a positive for me. What are some of the things that you're hoping to show teams that the teams, presumably they scouted you going back multiple years at San Diego state. I mean, there were scouts in the building many, many nights, but as you're doing these workouts, what are you hoping to show those in attendance? Um, I'm showing how the shopping I'm hoping to show those uh, in attendance uh, that um, I can perform at a high level. Um, and that's not just playing a role, but, being able to play outside of a role, being able to put the ball on the ground, uh, being able to make a play for myself and other teammates as well. Um, because that, that's what it comes down to. Uh, when the stars get the ball out of their hands, you're playing a closeout from there and you have to make a play. So um, I'm showing, um, I'm trying to show to these teams that, that I can make a play. Um, in San Diego State, I played a different type of role, uh, being that, that four-man role, being able to stretch the floor, um, being able to play a role at San Diego State as well. Um, and so um, I'm just trying to flourish uh, in that role and coming in and being able to make plays. Also want to show the scouts that you can bring it on the defensive end that, you know, with the way that Coach Dutcher used you at SDSU, that that I think you could probably end up guarding multiple positions. I mean, is that a safe statement that you feel comfortable guarding multiple positions? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I make it my staple to, to be a two-way guy. Um, to be that guy that, that can not only get it done on the offensive side, um, but that's going to turn around on the defensive side and get a stop, um, switch on, on multiple different players and, 
and turn mismatches into favorable uh, matchups for me. Is there a player that you watch now in the league and you say, okay, my game is comparable to that guy, or I really like how that team uses that particular player. Like I'll give an example. And I lost your picture ever so briefly. And now you're back, Matt, but like, I think about, and maybe it's just, it's recency bias, but I'm watching the finals. I think about Mikael Bridges and I know the body types are a little off, but I just, I think about, you know, three and D Mikael, his defensive versatility him being able to knock down the three point shot. Like, I don't know. Am I, am I on something? Am I on to something? Maybe making that <laughs> comp with you. Uh, definitely. Um, I think uh, being able to watch the playoffs unfold and watch different guys come into their own. Um, and especially um, how Macau uh, unfolded over the course of the season. Um, I definitely think that's a role that I could step into um, and be able to be effective in that role um, and being able to play like guys like Macau Bridges, um, even Jay Crowder, PJ Tugger, uh, Royce O'Neal um, and guys like that. And so um, just being able to come into that role and being able to, to be a pit bull and, and, get dirty and, and make the dirty plays that, that nobody else wants to make. Um, I think I flourish in that role and being that guy that, that that's a grit and grind type of guy. How much pride do you take in being Mountain West player of the year? Uh, I take, I take huge pride in that. Um, I think uh, I put so much work in over the last four years and being able to, and especially the last two years, being able to, to reap the benefits of, of the work that I put in. Um, the body, the body that I put in, the work that I put into my body, um, the work that I put in on the court, off the court, um, just to see it all pay off um, at the at the end of my career, um, I think is is very uh, very cherishable. Um, so I definitely uh, definitely walk around with, with high with a high head, um, and knowing that I was my West Player of the Year, um, chin up. Um, I, I don't take uh, any of that lightly uh, because I worked. Um, for everything that I achieved um, my senior year. And so uh, I definitely think I'm, I'm reaping the benefits. Have you had a chance just to catch your breath and just truly cherish those memories and even just soak up this pre-draft process? Because everything, Matt, like everything happened so fast. Like we're sitting here talking on July 12th, like this time next month, presumably you'll be in Vegas playing summer league. Like the draft is is less than three weeks away. It's what, 16, 17 days away. Like everything is happening so fast. Definitely. It's uh, it's definitely coming around quick. Uh, it comes around a lot quicker than people would think. Um, and because it's such a long process, but it really does fly by. Um, and so now that it's all coming up so fast, um, I don't think I've had a chance to, to necessarily breathe yet uh, and take it all in, but um, I'm just happy to just be able to be go, go, go. Um, and actually be on the road and teams want to see me and bring me in um, and see the body of work that I put in um, and see the, the mat that that's going to be effective in the league and that's going to be able to help teams get wins. Where are you at right now? Are you training on the West Coast and do you have some workouts coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, yes, I am on the West Coast right now back home, um, but I will be leaving soon. I have a uh, upcoming workout on the 15th with the Raptors. Um, I believe on the 16th with Philadelphia um, and then turn around on the 18th or 19th, um, I believe with Atlanta. Um, and so it, it'll be a quick turnaround for me in these next couple of days and getting out of here on, on Wednesday and flying out. So I definitely think it'll be a bit of fun. I mean, how tough is that though? I mean, 
I'm assuming that Toronto's are they in Tampa? So you'll fly to Tampa, then go what yes. Tampa to Philadelphia the next yeah. day, and then you get a day break, but then to Atlanta. Like that's that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot on your body. That's a lot on your mind. Like how do you how do you navigate that? Uh, man, it's uh, you just got to live in the moment. Um, I think uh, for me, it's a lot of. Uh, mental preparation uh, taken into it. Uh, I think uh, I put everything in, into my body that I can um, in this process so far, and uh, I put a plethora in. Um, so, so just knowing that I put so much in, and all this work is going to pay off if I just go out there and perform, um, and just mentally lock in, um, I'll be good. So, uh, I just know that that uh, when I was young, I used to play games that, that were turnaround to two games in a day on weekends. And so you're not worried about it when you're young. And now uh, me coming into to the league, I, I'd be a young guy. So I'm not really worried about, um, I'm not really worried about the, the whole load management and, and, and taking days off to, to rest the body because uh, you, you don't really have that luxury at this time. It's the, it's, it's the time just to, to put your head down and get to work. Does it matter, Matt, ultimately, if your name is called on draft night or, like, I'll give you an example. So the team I cover on a, on a regular basis is the Timberwolves. Two years ago, Nas Reed, undrafted. You know, and it's worked out brilliantly for Nas. I mean, he's dealing with a little bit of an injury, but he's on the USA Select team right now, right? He's Definitely. in Vegas. He got a nice contract. Last year, after the draft, they signed Ashton Haggins out of Kentucky to a two-way deal. There were some hiccups off the court, but, like, he was considered a really good player to sign after the draft. A lot of people thought Haggins would get drafted. I mean, there's there's so many examples. Duncan Robinson of Miami is about to get paid big time this summer as a free agent. He didn't get drafted. So, like, does it matter to you ultimately if you get drafted or not? Um, ultimately, no, I don't think it does. Um, I think every every guy that, that's grown up wanting to play in the NBA wants to hear their name called on draft day. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think once guys – um, come full circle and, and realize that, that once you're a second round draft pick, um, and especially late in the draft, um, you have less you have less control over um, where you go, what type of contract you would get, where you'll play, um, and so I think all of that just comes into play and in being able to actually uh, perform on the court and show um, what you can bring to the court. Um, I think that. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter to me um, because I know I'm going to go in and be able to perform in other ways um, other than, than being called on draft night. Um, I know, I know teams see my worth, um, see my ability and know that they can use me. Teams do see that. What will surprise teams about you? I think the thing that will surprise teams about me is the energy that I bring to the court. Um, I think the energy that I bring is sometimes unmatched. Um, I think a lot of guys um, have to match my energy. And if you don't match my energy, if you don't match my energy, it's going to be a long night for you. Um, and so I, I kind of brought that uh, with me to San Diego State. Um, and, and that was kind of my staple. I brought energy. Um, I played hard. Um, I played hard all game. And that's just how it is. Um, I'm coming at you downhill on the offensive end, um, nonstop. And on the defensive end, I'm aggressive. I'm going to climb into you. I'm going to swipe at the ball. I'm going to make you think um, before you act. Um, on a play. And so uh, just being able to, to bring unmatched energy to a team and being able to be that, that energizer bunny to give a team that charge, um, especially coming off the bench in the first year, um, a young guy, 
um, I think it proves to be uh, worth for a lot of teams. I'll ask you a couple questions about the Minnesota Combine, but first, Coach Dutcher, are you in this position without him? He's got Minnesota ties. I mean, heck, you probably know this. His name came up briefly for, for the Minnesota Gophers job. He had that clause in his contract that he could escape his SDSU contract to come here to Minnesota. His dad was a longtime University of, of Minnesota coach. So I'm just curious, are you in this position without Coach Dutcher? Um, I think uh, to some extent I, I would be in this position. Um, and being able to to get myself um, to a point where, where teams see my worth, but at the same time, um, the connection that, that Coach Dutcher has with Minnesota, uh, the connection that Coach Dutcher has uh, all over the nation, being being coaching in uh, in Michigan with the Fab Five, and now um, running a legacy here at San Diego State. Um, I, I want to say 17 years, a little bit over 17 years strong, and being here, uh, being able to to, to really put a stamp on your legacy. Um, uh, I think uh, he definitely propelled me um, to, to where I am today to, to really help me um, and, and be that assistance. How tight knit is the, is the San Diego state basketball family? Like, can you lean on Kawhi Leonard for advice? Can you lean on Malachi Flynn? I'm probably leaving out some names, but top of my head, those two come to mind. Yeah, definitely. Um, I said the, the San Diego State uh, family uh, alum is very tight knit. Um, I, I wouldn't say uh, Kawhi is too much of a talker. Um, he's more of a work guy. And, and so when you, you do see him come in and I had four years at the school. So, of course, seeing him come in, um, you, you say, hi, how you doing? And you're just watching him work. And so in a way, um, being able to watch him work is saying enough in its own. Um, and there's a lot of other guys, Jamal Franklin. Uh, Malcolm Thomas, uh, Winston Shepard, uh, Trey Kell, uh, Malachi Flynn, Jalen McDaniels. So there's a lot of guys that, that have been able to come out and, and make money and put, put their hands um, in the G League, um, overseas uh, for big money, being able to win championships. Um, so I definitely think uh, we're very tight-knit, um, and, and especially the guys that I've played with recently. Um, we do keep in contact and talk. All right, take me through the the Minnesota Combine. So you were here just for the one day Friday. I mean, I guess pick up the story from there. I mean, I you know I think you were in Friday, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But just pick up your experience last week here in Minnesota. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I was in on Friday um, and got it. I was able to see that experience and, and get it all in. Um, I was able to uh, get in the the entire measurements training, the uh, the beforehand. You you do all the drills, the vertical test, the the sprint drill. Um, I would say there's a little bit of differences um, in a few of the lane agility drills um, and the way they went about things and, and trying to get two feet out of the lane instead of one foot um, and, and trying to uh, level the playing field uh, for for different size different size of guys. Um, and and somewhat guys having an advantage and maybe you have a longer leg and so you can get there. Um, so I definitely think they, they love it out the playing field for everyone. Um, but as far as being on the court, um, it, it was it was it was great uh, just to be able to, to play in front of all those teams and, and uh, get up shots and, and shoot, um, shoot prolific. Um, I, I felt like I shot the ball pretty well um, when I was out there. Um, 
and as well as in the one-on-one, the three-on-three, um, I felt I fared pretty well, uh, being able to put a shoulder in guys, uh, being able to get my mid-range shot off, um, and then on three in the three-on-three as well, I felt I was able to, to uh, make use use of mismatches and, and screen guys, get them open. Um, so I really think your IQ came into play uh, because, it, of course, uh, when, you, when you play the game, it's, it's normally five-on-five, five, but at the same time, you have to think uh, time, situation, uh, where you are on the court um, and where other guys would be. So you just being able to take advantage of three-on-three three, um, and really uh, trying to try and abuse mismatches, um, I think definitely uh, worked in my favor. So there was no five-on-five. Five, and was it at Mayo Clinic Square? Did, did they bring you over to the, to the Target Center? Uh, no, we, we, uh, we started over at the uh, Mayo Clinic Square, uh, doing all the measurements there, um, all the testing there. Um, and then for the actual workout, we came over to the Target Center um, and were able to play in there. There was no uh, five-on-five. It was uh, groups of six. Um, and so the, the most we did was three-on-three. Three. Um, but being able to be in there for that hour, hour and 15, um, I think definitely got got teams a better look at you because you were able to be more aggressive. You were able to uh, more or less play your game than in, in some of these combines where you're, it's five on five and you're playing games. A lot of guys um, get a lot of don't get a lot of touches, and when you do get the when you do get the ball, a lot of guys just want to go. Um, and so I think it allows uh, a better look uh, for teams at you um, and lets you be a lot more aggressive were you able to interact at all with with the teams like did you do any interviews or was it just all on the court stuff uh no it was all on the court um i I didn't do any interviews uh but i I was able to interact with um a few of the coaching staff um uh, definitely uh some definitely some coaches i that i uh, recognized remembered um and definitely some guys that that came up over time uh, when I was younger, um, and now they're in a position of of, of NBA uh, office, and so it's definitely nice to see these guys um, and be able to uh, resonate and be able to to recognize these guys from when I was younger. Uh, but at the same time, um, as I've been through these workouts and the NBA, the the G League Elite Camp, um, and doing all the interviews there, um, definitely still seeing the coaches, uh, the the same coaches, same. Uh, front office members um, and being able to shake their hand and look them in the eye um, and get a, be able to just, just to see him again, um, I think was good. Who by name? Like, who who did you for sure recognize? Um, I want to say uh, James Jones. Um, there was a uh, few members, actually, uh, of the Timberwolves um, that I uh, that I remember their faces. I couldn't quite remember names. Um, I wouldn't say I can remember too many names because it's a lot of it's a lot of people that you meet, um, yep. especially at the G League Elite Camp. Um, I think I had about 14 or 15 interviews. Um, so it was definitely a lot of names. Um, but you remember the faces and you remember the conversation um, and everything was wholehearted. Everything um, was very, very 100 percent just just flat out. And so um i think it was it was good just to just to be able to see those guys again and shake their hands and give them another look at me um and hopefully uh propel my my stock a little bit more i'll leave you with this matt i saw on friday that mckinley wright was in that day the the university of colorado guard he's from here in the twin cities he went to high school 
like about 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. So like I've done stuff on McKinley going back many, many years. Did you have a chance to to play with him or was he in that second group of, of six after you were done on Friday? I think he was in that, that second group of six after I was done on Friday. Um, some of the guys in my group were uh, Matt Coleman, um, Colby uh, from uh, Pepperdine uh, and Matt Coleman is from Texas. Uh, I actually had my, uh, former teammate Jordan Shackle um, in my group. Um, there was a MJ Walker, um, and I believe there was another player as well. I just don't remember. Um, I don't quite remember his name. Um, but all, all those guys are, are high-level guys, uh, guys that played at a high level, did a lot of things for the universities over the years and their schools, um, being able to perform and being able to uh, being able to play um, at, at a high level and, and really just do it all. And so. Uh, being able to be on the court with those guys and, and mix it up um, and, and be able to get after it was was definitely good. And I mean, were the restrictions pretty lenient because you've been vaccinated or like what were the COVID restrictions if there were any? Um, the COVID restrictions are very lenient. Um, I, I'd say if you're vaccinated and I have been vaccinated, I've been vaccinated since the end of May. Um, uh, I think it serves uh, so much better to be vaccinated because you're able to come in, get the COVID, and after your COVID, if you uh, if you do want to explore that that city that you're in, especially if the city is new to you, um, I think that it uh, I think that it it just opens up your eyes to to a lot of different things. Uh, being able to to see new cities and see new places. Being able to step out of out of the hotel sometimes gives you a mental break, gives you a mental release, um, and so it, it definitely allows me uh, to to keep the ball rolling. Like you, I'm happily vaccinated. I have no problem saying <laughs> yes, that. Sir. You know, not <laughs> only for my all. own, you know, just you know, mental well being, but yeah, I mean, my family and and those that are close to me. I mean, it just definitely. when it was my turn, it made logical sense. You know, I mean, I get the people that choose not to to each their own, but. I happily got the vaccine. I was I was plenty happy to get it. So I completely can relate. Definitely, definitely. And I can uh, I, I can definitely see uh, the people that maybe don't want to get vaccinated and that being their choice. Uh, but at the same time, I think for me personally, it just served uh, all the better to be vaccinated. Um, and especially for my family, uh, just having to, to travel back and forth, um, going through airports, um, seeing different teams, seeing a lot of different guys. Um, being able to shake different people's hands. Um, and so bringing all that back uh, to family and close to home, you definitely want to keep mom and dad uh, safe and sound um, and keep them from any harm or danger. Um, and so uh, my parents have had uh, COVID in, in the past. Um, and so uh, definitely uh, not revisiting that uh, would be, would be a, a good thing. Absolutely. Matt, anything we didn't touch on that you want to get out there? Um, no, I think that's it. I, I think, uh, for me, um, I just want to be able to show and show and prove to everybody that I, I'm that high level guy, um, that's going to be effective at the next level. Um, and no matter what, whether it's, uh, I'm a second round, first round, um, undrafted, um, uh, I'm a guy that, that can stick in the league for a long time, um, and be that glue guy, uh, be that guy that, that's going to come in and play a role, um, and get the job done. Matt, thank you for doing this. I'm glad we can make it work. Wishing you nothing but the best come later this week with the Raptors and 
Philly and Atlanta. And then, you know, as we approach the, the end of the month and the draft, I hope everything works out however you want it to work out. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All the best to you. Absolutely. Take it easy, Matt. And I'll tell Keith, thank you for, for arranging this. Okay. Of course. Of course. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, I Matt. I'll you stay in touch. On today. Absolutely. Right. Take it easy. Bye now. In addition to Mitchell, I heard good feedback about Aaron Henry, the former Michigan State Spartan. So of all the players in town, the two that I heard the most buzz about, Aaron Henry and Matt Mitchell. I appreciate Mitchell's time on the Scoop Podcast. All right, we are done on this Sunday morning. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great this next week. It's a fun week, NHL Draft Week, 3M Open Week. Pretty soon it'll be NBA Draft Week. It'll be Vikings Opening Training Camp Week, Twins Trade Talk. I didn't really have a firm update here in the Scoop Podcast. Talks like the Wolves, right, are ongoing. Like I see Nelson Cruz going somewhere. The Reds have some interest in Andrelton Simmons. I can see Hansel Robles going somewhere. I think the Twins are going to make multiple trades but I don't think they're going to end up making six or seven trades. Like, I don't think it's going to be a crazy, crazy end of July for the Twins, but uh, talk will turn into action here pretty soon. I feel confident about that. So I bet I'll have an update in the coming days and weeks or week-ish on the Twins trade front. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday and a great week, everyone. Always appreciate you listening. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 359. Stay safe, stay sane. He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.